Last week, I started um, a three-part series on God is not bipolar. Who was here for that? Okay, good. I'm glad you guys came back. God is good, and he is only good, and he is always good, you know. And, um, and we just, you know, just a, a quick two-minute summary of that. You know, you should go listen to it. It's on Facebook, on YouTube, on, on the church app, on audio, on all kinds of, you know, ways for you to listen. But, um, but you know, our view of God and, and how we see God, our idea of God is going to determine how we relate to him and how we receive from him. Nobody wants to be in relationship with somebody, in a close relationship with somebody who doesn't like them. Nobody wants to be tolerated. We like to be celebrated, right? Are you with me, right? So same with God. Like you would, like this is the reason why a lot of people just kind of like tiptoe around church or don't even come close because they have an idea that God tolerates them, you know, so they only show up at the big family meetings on Christmas and Easter. But God doesn't tolerate us. He celebrates us. He already paid. Okay, that's my timer. I didn't think it would go that quick. But All right, there's your review. <laughs> God celebrates us. And then we also said God is a good father, right? So you want to have an intimate relationship with him? You need to have the right view of God, who he really is. And that is that he's good and he's only good. He doesn't change on a dime. I know that many people grew up with fathers that were like happy in one moment, but in a second he could just go, you know, and that's not, that's not our father God, you know. We do teach our children an image of God by how we parent them, right? But, you know, and that's not to put pressure on parents, but to let you know that that's the reason why kids, our children, regardless of how well we parent them, our children need to have a personal encounter with God the Father as their perfect father. That's the only way they'll really experience, you know, how really the father is supposed to be. You know, we could try our best and that's good, but we'll always fall short of a perfect father, right? And so when our children experience the perfect father, then then they have a the the, the right standard, the perfect picture of what a good father is supposed to look like. And so you know, we all need that. We all need to be sons, and at the same time that we're fathers, you know, daughters, at the same time you be, you continue to be mothers. So God is a father, right? And so how we see him will affect how close we get to him, how we pray, and it'll also affect our ability to receive from him. Because God doesn't move by need, he moves by faith, right? So if you don't believe God has his, your best interest in mind and in heart, then you won't even believe. You won't even dare to believe for the best of God in your life. Does that make sense? So, so it affects how we receive from him. And then we talked about double-mindedness from James and, and God as a father. You know, um, We need to stop accusing God of doing horrible things that even we would never do to our children. Right? That's just not right. And then we said Jesus is perfect theology. So you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that today. But how... The Old Testament questions are, you know, are questions, but Jesus is the answer. The life of Jesus is the answer to all the Old Testament questions. He came and he settled it. He said, everything that I say is what I hear the Father say, and everything that I do is what I see the Father do. So he's our perfect example of what the Father is. You know, his disciples asked him, hey, would, you know, I think it was uh, Philip, he's like, hey, would you show us the Father? Would you show us the Father? And Jesus is like, hey. How long have you been with me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Like they, they had, they, they wanted to know what is he like? And Jesus is like, right here, check it out. Perfect image, perfect example. That's why Jesus is perfect theology. So whatever question you have of the Old Testament, like, ah, that doesn't, I don't understand it. It's okay. It's answered in the life of Jesus. Did Jesus do it? Did he treat people like that? No, right? Oh, but we, you know, the law says that we should stone such people. What? Okay, what did Jesus do when they brought the woman in the right, caught in the act of adultery, they brought him before him? He's like, wait, but that doesn't line up. Listen, he's perfect theology, and he came to set the standard straight. Right? And so, what did he say to that woman? He said, go and sit no more. Right? That's, that's repentance. He didn't say, hey, no worries, I'm, I'm, I'm grace and there's a new covenant, so you go back to what you were doing. He didn't say that. Right? Because so many people think, like, grace is the, the, you know, just like a license to sin. And it's not a license to sin. It's an empowerment to live a righteous life. And so he tells the woman, it's like, you've met with grace himself, Jesus. Now go and sin no more. You're empowered. Go. So, anyways, that, um, and then the deepest thing that we said is God is good, devil's bad. <laughs> it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, not his punishments or his wrath or his, you know, no, none of that, right? It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. Now, do some people repent when they're in their lowest point? Yes. And that's a good thing. Because they would keep hurting themselves if they, if they don't. But it doesn't mean that God took them to that place or that God put them in that place or that God put his foot on them, you know, until they tapped out. God's not like that. Um, he's a good God. And then we said also that many times people have created theologies around the things that haven't happened or didn't happen instead of the things that are on the word and the good things that he has done. You know, James 1.17 says, in him there is no shadow of turning. And every good gift comes from him. Right? John 10.10, 10, the devil came to still kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give his life and life more abundant. Right? There is absolutely no way that you can... Look at the Bible and of the life of Jesus and somehow still assign blame to God for the bad things that happen. There's no way. The only reason why people still do that many times is because it makes them feel better in one way or another. But it's not okay to accuse a father of being abusive just so that I could feel better. Right? Instead, we need a right view of God. Okay? God's not bipolar. He is not bipolar. He never changes. He's always been good. Everything he created, right, in Genesis, uh, everything he created was good. He saw that, and he, it was good. Everything he created is good. There's, there's, no, there's no evil in God. So, you know, if you spoke to me bad about somebody I don't know, like, let's just say, like, you know, somebody comes like, hey, pastor, you know that person, that new visitor right there? Well, let me tell you about them. You know, they are the worst, as worst, you know, as bad as it gets. Like, that's just like, you know, be careful with them because they're just like up to no good. You know, they have all kinds of hidden agendas and they're just like, they're out to get you. So just, um, just watch out. Be careful. You know, they've done it to many other people. And, you know, what that would do to me, right? It's like, okay. Maybe I won't judge them, right? Maybe I'll, I'll choose to not 
whew, not think about those things that were told, and I'm going to get to know them by myself, right? But I would still be cautious, right? I'd be like, oh, there's that person. Hi. How you doing? Right? What'd you do this week? I mean, never mind. Um, um, you know, like, it would make you cautious, right? Well, that's what, you remember last week we said the example about cutting wood and how if you use just the standard from the previous stick, you know, as you go, you know, 100 pieces of wood, you're going to have a big difference, you know, in the size uh, versus the first original one that was measured with a measuring tape, right? And so, you know, in the same way, like uh, the view and perspective of God has been passed down and kind of shifted just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, generation after generation. And what happens is all of a sudden, you know, we're trying to explain things to our kids or, or to people that are new in the Lord, and we're explaining them a view of God that isn't the view of the Bible, that isn't the life of Jesus, that isn't that one of a good God, but more of a schizophrenic God that sometimes is good, and sometimes you just don't know what you're going to get, right? Because he's sovereign, so then we use also words like that, right? And then we twist the, the word of God, and we give people an idea of like, hey, welcome to you know, Christianity 101, where you just don't know, don't lie, God might strike you. So how, how does that help people to relate intimately to a God who just like, hey, God, good morning. Hope you're doing good. Um, okay, I'm just not going to ask for anything today because I don't need anything. So have a good day. Right? So it's, it's the same thing, right? When people have talked bad about God and they've taught wrong theology based on things that didn't happen or haven't happened or didn't understand, Right? We pass on a view of God that is not who he really is. So it causes people a conflict when they're trying to relate to him right, intimately because I'm not sure if I should ask for that. I'm not really sure that God wants me that blessed, that rich. You know, I, I just don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So, but if you told me something bad, you know, uh, like about my own wife. Well, I just wouldn't believe it because I know her, right? I know her intimately. And so therefore, there's, there's no way you can tell me that she's a completely different person than the one I know. And that's why, you know, that's the big difference between religion and relationship, you know, is that in religion, they present to you a God with weird theologies and rules and things like that, but in a relationship, you're invited to know God for yourself. Like, yes, we're teaching the word, but you're invited to go and read the word on your own and to have an encounter with God for yourself and to have experiences with God on your own, right? And to ask God the questions that are in your heart and to find the answer through the Holy Spirit and to, like, it's an invitation to come close to him and know him for yourself. You can be fed for some time, but growth is going to demand that you start feeding yourself at some point, right? And so our relationship with God is, is crucial, but if we don't have the right view and idea of who God is, then it's going to be a twisted relationship. It's not going to be as he wants it to be. So it's foundational that, you know, and after this series, we're going to go into what would be next. Like if we, if we know the nature of God, then we can really know our nature, because he created us, right? So it's kind of hard to know who am I supposed to be when I don't really know the nature of the one that created me, right? And so it will lead us into knowing who 
we're supposed to be and, 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 and what God meant for us. So, um, so anyways, if you talk to me bad about my wife, you know, I wouldn't believe it because I know her. And so if you know God for yourself, you'll be able to identify when you hear something, you go, hmm, either I misunderstood that or, you know, that has a little bit of religion in there or a twisted view of God, you know. When people are praying for God to bring judgment on different cities and states or countries or, or people, you, you understand that they don't really have a good idea of who God is. Or that maybe they misunderstand the Old Testament, right? Which a lot of people do, right? But we need, to, we need to learn to see the Old Testament in the view of the life of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, right? And understanding that there has been given us a new covenant. As a matter of fact, that's the only covenant that was offered to us. I said this last week, right? We were never offered. You and I, unless you are, you know, of Jewish descent, like you were never offered the Old Covenant. The Old Testament and the Old Covenant is a reference point. It's only a reference point for us. It is not our invitation to participate in that. You with me? You going to throw something at me? Okay. What about the Ten Commandments? Yep, well, Jesus talked about that, right? He said it all sums up in this. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you're not going to take their wife or their food or their toilet paper. I don't care. I think it's been long enough. We can joke about that, right? I think I saw a post the other day. Somebody said, like, one year ago today, I was out of toilet paper. I'm like, wow, that's funny. Um, so we're going to look at some scriptures, uh, you know, and just some examples of the life of Jesus and, and continue to look through this, and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the law. But um, in Matthew 8, 2, you know, this uh, leper came to Jesus and said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, you know. So here's a picture of the will of God about healing, because Jesus said what? He said, I am willing, be healed. You know, many people, actually I would dare to say most people don't doubt the power and the ability of God. They just doubt his willingness. You know, but he's no respecter of persons. He's only respecter of faith. Because those that come to him require that they believe in him, you know, in a God that they cannot see. So he's not a respecter of persons. He's a respecter of faith. You know, right believing leads us to right living. And so this leper comes and he's like, hey, I know you can, but will you? And Jesus is like, absolutely, I want to be healed. And I just love that because it's the question many struggle with, you know. And then again, the skeptic would say, well, yeah, he was willing for him to be healed, but not all of us. And that's not true, right? Jesus never turned anybody away, not one person away. Everybody that came to him received healing, received a miracle. Everybody that came to him, right? And then there's... Um, and in Romans 5, 8, you know, it says that while we were yet sinners, God loved us. How much more now does God really love me? Is he, you know, if somebody, some people also get this wrong idea that like, oh, love is different than if God is good. Like, he loves me, but he's not very good to me. Mm, that's like a 
human version of love, right? Like human version of love with conditions and all this kind of stuff says, yes, I love you, but. But God is not like that, you know? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. His love is unconditional. He gave us his one and only son because he loved us so much, right? How, mu- how, how much more will he not give us all the other things and things that we ask him, right? So God is good. He loves us. And in that love, he's also willing to give us what we ask for in his name. He's good. Well, then why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? Why hasn't this happened? You know? I don't know. You have a relationship with him. Ask him. But I guarantee you, it's not because he's not good. Remember we talked about that? Like, it could be a million other things, but the one thing we don't question is gravity, right? That doesn't fail. It's the same with the goodness of God. It's the one thing we don't question is his goodness. It could be other things. It could be the timing's off. It could be this or that. It could be that. I don't know. But what I never question is his goodness because that's his nature. And if I start questioning his goodness, it's like cracking the foundation. Everything else is up for game. Nothing else is sure anymore. But that's the one thing we need to be sure of is he is good and he's only good. Who's the one that's out there to kill, steal, and destroy? It's the devil. The thief, right? Who else is out there making a mess of things? People. Exactly. People, right? Okay. So let us not think that God's love or God's goodness depends on our good works. You got saved with zero works, right? You got saved with zero works. You were such a sinner. Such a sinner when you got saved. And he saved you. See, he didn't wait till you met the requirements of the law for a period of probation and then like, all right, congratulations, you have earned salvation. No. You came you know, maybe it was your worst point or whatever, but you, you were a sinner before you had him. And then he turned you into a new creation, right? You were born again. And you're no longer a sinner. That's a different teaching, but, you know, we'll talk about that next week. Second um, Peter 3.9, the Lord is willing that Anyone, that no one should perish. No one should perish. He does not want anyone to perish. Who does he want to perish? Nobody, right? Is that a good thing? Yes, because he's a good God. We need to learn to dwell on the good things he has done and what good things have happened. A lot of today's bad theology is based on the things that haven't happened, didn't happen, or he hasn't done yet. That's how we get off on, you know, on a wrong path. How many of you have heard the story of the Pool of Bethesda? You know, Jesus was there, you know, in, in the Pool of Bethesda. You know, some, some people say that there could have been around a thousand people around that pool. And yet Jesus comes by and he heals one. You know how many people would be making article news about the other 999 that didn't get anything? And sir, why did Jesus not heal you? Hmm. 
And how about you? How does it make you feel that he walked right past you and didn't heal you? Right? But Jesus will offend the mind sometimes to expose our heart. And so Jesus goes and he heals one in the pool of Bethesda. And then you go like, why? 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 I don't know. But are we going to focus on the 999 that he didn't heal or are we going to focus on the one that he healed? It's like, you know, some woke people are like, that's not fair. <laughs> it should all be equal. Everybody get the same. I don't know why Jesus didn't do that, but I do know this. Jesus didn't come to show us what God could do. He came to show us what one man full of the Holy Spirit submitted to God could do. He didn't come to fix the whole world. He came to redeem us so that instead of one Jesus, it could be Jesus through thousands and millions of people doing exactly what he did. See, he came to give us back the authority that we lost in the garden. See, we couldn't do that without him. But with him, now he came back, he took back the keys of the kingdom, right? The keys to be able to do that. And he said, now all authority has been given to me. And what did he do? He gave all authority back to his disciples, right? So when he, when he did that, he empowered us to now go do what he did. Because in the beginning, he had gave us, he'd given us the earth. Right? So Jesus came back and said, okay, I'm going to live a life. I'm going to show you an example. So now, you know, I got back the keys. And now all authority has been given to me. Now I'm giving you all that authority. You can't mess it up this time. <laughs> Just believe, right? Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. In my name you will cast out devils, heal the sick. Set the captives free, right? The same thing that he was assigned to do, now he passed on to us. Because he redeemed us from the curse of the law. He took the power of sin away, the sting of death away, right? So now we are made righteous by faith. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And now we can go and do the same things. And he gave us permission to do even what? Greater things than he did. So I don't know why he didn't heal the other 999, but what I can tell you, right, is that if that was you and me walking in the pool of Bethesda and we prayed for that one person, that one person got healed, I'd be pretty happy. I wouldn't be depressed about the 999 that didn't get healed. See, and many times we look at, uh, you know, people with big healing ministries and and all this stuff, and we think like, well, it works for them all the time. You're wrong. It doesn't. <laughs> we traveled with the evangelist, and we saw hundreds and hundreds of miracles. But you know what we also saw? Hundreds of not miracles. And you know what we didn't do? We didn't go and question and say, this doesn't work. No, we said, thank you, God, for all the people that you heal, for all the miracles that happen. Thank you for all this. Because when you learn to appreciate and celebrate the, the things that are happening and do happen, become testimonies and part of your life, then God can trust you with more. Amen. Oh, Pastor, I don't know. You're confusing me now. It's like, is he trusting me with this or that? <clears throat> God is a good God. Right? Um... He's only good. Okay, we kind of veered off a little bit there, but um, we need to dwell on the good things that he has done, okay? Um, the standard of the Old Testament was replaced with Jesus, okay? 
Job was the question. Jesus is the answer. We're not talking about Job today. You're like, why not? <laughs> Job. Job is the question. Jesus is the answer. There's a lot of things that Job didn't have. But Jesus is the answer. We'll talk about Job another day. Maybe on the Tuesday live stream. Has anybody ever uh, watched the Tuesday live streams? You know, if you're following on YouTube or Facebook um, and you turn on notifications, at, at Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m., uh, me and Nick uh, and sometimes a different guests will do a live stream and, and sometimes expand on the subjects or, or the things that are, you know, in our heart or that God is speaking to us. And then... Um, and then many times, um, you know, well, I do a Spanish one at 12 o'clock, and then uh, right now we have a Thursday one also happening. So um, go ahead and subscribe to those things, and, and you can always uh, listen to some of that. But maybe, some of, maybe one of these times we'll, we'll talk about Job um, and those things. But let me tell you something. Those things are the exceptions. They're not the rule. You know, I know you're thinking Ananias and Sapphira, and you're thinking Herod, and you're thinking all these things. But let me tell you, if, if, if you can't explain those things, let me tell you, those are the exception. They're not the rule, and they do not define who God is and what his nature is. It doesn't change his nature. And there's a lot of reasons and a lot of things that, you know, we can certainly see in Scripture. Um, but the exceptions don't make the rule. The rule stays the same, and that's the nature of God that doesn't change. Now, there's a lot of people out there that would like to make those exceptions the rule, and they say, see, you know, this throws everything out. But that doesn't change who God is. That only changes and, and affects you, how you receive from God and how you relate to God. See that he's an unchanging God, so no matter what you think about him, he stays the same. The only thing that you do is called idolatry, which is you create a God in your own image. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Um, let's see. We are going to go... I'll, I'm going to show you some more scriptures, but um, Philippians chapter 4 and, uh, and verse 7. Are you getting something out of this? This is fun, right? Man, you're so amazing. You're brave. You came back. You know, it, it, let me tell you, we all have sacred cows. And all these sacred cows, you know, sometimes they're really big and just like, Fat, big cows with lots of milk and lots, you know, even a big fat gold ring in the nose, you know, and, and a big bell that rings all the time. You know, but it's okay. We need to kill them, you know. We need to kill these cows that continue to be loud in our life and, and rob us from, you know, from who God really is. And so it's okay. You know, I kill sacred cows all the time, you know. And sometimes they try to come back again, and I'm like, okay, no, you were dead. <laughs> so uh, check this out Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 it says then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus 
Now, let me, let me preface this by saying I'm not against at all. I'm not against asking God questions, okay? He's totally fine with you asking questions, crazy questions, dumb questions, all kinds of questions. He doesn't care. He doesn't judge you. He's not upset, you know, for you having questions. As a matter of fact, I think God welcomes questions, you know? But ultimately, what we're all looking for is an explanation that would give us peace, right? Like the tough questions, the hard things that we went through that happened in our lives didn't happen or, or went wrong in our lives, right? We have a question, and we're looking for an answer. We know we can't go back in time, but we're looking for an answer that will give us what? Peace, right? And I think because God is so amazing and so loving, you know, he gave us something in this scripture for the things that our minds or this mortal body just cannot even comprehend. And that is a peace that goes beyond your understanding of why something happened or didn't happen. Isn't that amazing? He's like, hey, listen, there's things that you're just not going to know until you get up there. But I want you to still have peace. And I want you to still trust me. So here it is. The peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your heart and will guard your mind. That is always a promise. As a matter of fact, let me say this. Peace is an answer. Peace is probably... The best answer we can find to all the unanswered tough questions that we don't have another answer from God for. What is not okay is to make stuff up and attribute it to God or accuse people. Are you with me? So you will experience peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. What is praying? Is bring it to God, right? He's saying, bring me all your questions. It doesn't offend me. It doesn't scare me. He's like, bring your mess, bring your questions, bring everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. He says, and the peace, the surpassed understanding will guard your heart. Peace is a response. Peace is an answer. And so I find myself many times when I don't know the answer to something. And I search and I ask and I don't have another thing. I go back to the foundation. God's nature is good. He's only good. He didn't do this. It was not his fault. He only has good plans, good future, and a hope for me. He wishes that none should perish. So I know clearly that it wasn't God, the author of calamity, right? He was not the author of loss. He was not the author of pain. He was not those things. And when I don't have any other answer, then I'll just, I'll thank him for peace. And he will give me peace. And peace is an answer. So if you have disappointment in your life and things that you're, you've struggled with for years or you've carried, you don't know why it happened. That's a big disappointment you have with God. First of all, he's not scared of it. So bring it to him. And second, say, God, your peace is enough for me. And he'll give you peace that goes beyond our understanding of a situation or a thing. Amen? Mm, close your eyes for a second. God, I thank you for your peace that guards our hearts and minds. And right now, we just said to, we say to all disappointments in our life, we say, the peace of God 
is your answer. And we receive your peace right now in the name of Jesus. Maybe there's things where you see, I feel like, uh, you know, with your eyes closed for a second, I feel like right now it's that, the missing piece. If, if you ever played Tetris, I know it's really old, but if you ever played Tetris, it's about putting the pieces where they fit. And I feel like so many, so many of you are not um, at peace yet because you're missing that, <laughs> that piece. And, um, and this is the piece that you needed. And so I just received the peace of God as that Tetris piece that is coming down and just filling in all those voids and those places of disappointment right now. Is he's filling it with the perfect peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding right now. And that right now will settle your heart and your mind and will guard. It says it will guard and it will protect your mind. Because for as long as you don't have peace, then there's a void there that is robbing you in your heart and your mind. So right now he's just giving you that peace in there in your heart in the name of Jesus. All right. Amen. So receive that. Amen. Um, I'm not done. So let's turn off the music. I just felt like we really needed to do that right now. <laughs> it was like, thank you for coming. Signs already. And I no, wait, sit down. Check this out. <laughs> uh, when I have peace, I can continue approaching my father with trust without changing my view of him. So disappointments lose their power. You know, when you're disappointed in a person, you kind of start keeping a distance. Second Kings chapter one, Elijah calls fire down on 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 these soldiers. <laughs> Gosh. You know, that was never a true and accurate representa- representation of God. You know how we know that? In Luke chapter nine, verse fifty-four, James and John, you know, I'm pretty sure they read that story many times. They thought, hey, we're with Jesus the master now. <gasps> one day we'll get to go. <laughs> Fire, you know, over our enemies. Because remember, they were all waiting for a, you know, a, um, a military, you know, takeover, you know, from the Messiah. And so, you know, who knows what idea they had. But it's, it's amazing because Jesus came to change their idea completely, you know, and give them an understanding of the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, uh, it's uh, James and John, you know, they, they try to ask Jesus to do the same trick. You know, some people come, you know, against them, and they don't receive him well. And they're like, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call fire from heaven on them? And he rebukes them. He's like, no. Are you, are you, where'd you get that from? They're probably going like, you know, like, second kings. <laughs> like, okay, okay, stop. Stop. Wrong idea. Wrong idea. Look at me, right? I'm, I'm your, new, your new example. I'm setting the standards straight. So a lot of our questions, you know, that, see, Jesus didn't tell him why not. Why didn't that happen? Because his life was enough of a new standard for them to say, hey, listen, <laughs> there's a lot that I'm not going to explain to you right now, but that's a big no-no. We don't do that. We love people. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came that none would perish, but they will all come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is why I came, to give life and life abundant, you know. So whatever misinterpretation or idea you had from the Old Testament, Jesus says, look at me. Eyes here, okay. We're going to do really fun things 
You know, like we're going to multiply fish and bread and all these kinds of things. We're going to feed people. You know, I'm the water. I'm the bread. I'm like, but we're not calling fire down on people. Okay. <laughs> See, so a lot of those questions, where are they answered? They're answered in the life of Jesus. Um, old covenant people had a lot of, a lot of things that we don't have that we take for granted. First of all, they couldn't be saved. They couldn't be transformed from the inside and they did not have the spirit of God inside of them. Many of them, the Spirit of the Lord came on them for an assignment, a season, or, or, or something that God, you know, had them do. But it's very different than us, believers who are completely new creations. We have the Spirit of God inside of us, right? And we're being transformed. Old Testament didn't have that. They didn't have that. Um... I'm running out of time here, but um, the law was never introduced to help us stop sinning. It's impossible. The law was introduced to show us our sin, right? And to show us that we needed a savior. You know, so, so sorry for those that learned the Ten Commandments and tried real hard. You know, the Bible says where there is no law, there's no transgression. What does that mean? That means if, if the bench is, is, is recently painted, but there's no sign that says don't touch and you touch it, you didn't break any laws. There was no sign, right? But the law was introduced, right, to show us our sin because things were going really, really bad. If you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, like things were getting really, really, really bad in the world in general. Sin was doing horrible, disgusting things, right? And so there was a big need. And so <laughs> the law, think about it this way, the law came in to almost like flatten the curve, okay? You're all familiar with that term nowadays, right? <laughs> flatten the curve. Because things were getting really, really bad on earth. And it came to show us their sin, and it also came to take away self-righteousness. It came to show us a standard. Killing, no, no. You know, adultery, no, no. You know, a standard, because there was no standard. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, that Bible tells us in, um, in Romans 5 that God was not imputing sin, on, sin onto people before the law. In other words, Abraham's sin wasn't counted against himself because there was no law. So there was a period of imputing sin, which is the period of the law which ended when Jesus came and announced, you know, here I am. Here's a new way. Here's the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And when Jesus came, that he ended that, okay? And now it says in the word in 2 Corinthians 5.19, sin is no longer imputed unto us. Why? Because sin always needs to be judged, and sin was judged on the body of Jesus on the cross. And if God was imputing sin onto us, that's called double jeopardy. Right? Any of you familiar with that? The movie? Like, God doesn't do that. Sin was paid for once on the body and the life of Jesus. It's no longer being imputed unto us. Therefore, when we fall under condemnation, it's the devil, the accuser, that has come to accuse us. Because if he gets us to believe different about God and different about ourselves, then we're useless. 
Sin's not an issue to God. Mm, can't believe he just said that. Sin's not an issue to God. You know? Sin's an issue for us, for the sinner, for the one sinning, you know, or for the believer who is missing the mark. It creates its own chaos. But sin's not an issue to God. He dealt with it. Stop looking for other churches. I can. You're looking at me funny. Um, but the problem is when we don't know that sin, the sin is very severe. The severity of sin is still the same. Sin leads to death. It still does. But God doesn't see us any different. Because when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you come under his righteousness. Now you've inherited the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus so that we can be in right relationship with God. And that grace is what actually empowers us to live a righteous life. Because we couldn't live a righteous life on our own. That's impossible. You know, the Bible tells us that if you, if you try to keep all of the law, right, but you miss up one, you're guilty of all of it. You know how hard that is? It's impossible. It's impossible, right? So therefore, we inherit the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right, because of what he did, not what we did. Therefore, The law came to set the standard, shows our sin, but take away self-righteousness. Self-righteousness says, I could do it on my own. I did it on my own. I earned it myself. Look at me. Kind of ran out of time now. So I, we're, we're going to continue on this and go a little bit deeper into the law, okay, and uh, the consequence of sin, because don't get me wrong, sin is so severe. Like, if people, people that understand the severity of sin don't go to grace so that they can keep on sinning. It's only people that don't understand the severity of sin and that the wages of sin are death that would take grace and say like, all right, we could keep on partying. It's people that don't understand that. See, the severity of sin was like, it, it came to its, its, its highest point, you know, in various places in the Bible. And it had to be judged. But then what was our, our answer or response was Jesus. And in the life and the sacrifice of Jesus, all our sin was poured out upon him, right? So that we would find righteousness in him and in what he did through our faith. Amen? Okay, so next week we'll continue on this and we'll talk a little bit more about the law. And then we'll start talking about what does that say about me now, okay? You know, there's a lot of things that don't say anything about you. But what he did, who he is, and that redemptive work says a lot about us. And if we don't know that, then we're lost in our identity. And let me tell you, the world is having an identity crisis. And if we don't set this case straight about God's nature, God's identity, we're, we're out in the dark about our identity. Amen? So um, let me pray for you, and then I'm going to have James come up and close. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you.
oh, that you reveal truth to us, that you're so gentle and so kind in how you, um, you, you come and, 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 and set uh, truth in our hearts, God. Thank you for all the sacred cows that were killed today, God. And we just say no more. We won't allow them to come back and to keep speaking in our lives. We say, Jesus, you were the sacrifice for us. It was all settled in your, in your death and resurrection. And we received that. So now I thank you that you teach us how to discover that and, and have a, a strong foundation on the nature of God. Thank you, Jesus, your perfect theology. So we look at you, we set and fix our eyes on you, not on the things that haven't happened, not on the things that, 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 uh, that, that we're still waiting for or the, or the answers that we don't have, but we thank you. We thank you for what you have done. And we believe that you are good, always, only good. And we believe, God, that um, yeah, we believe, God, that you are our righteousness. Jesus, you're our righteousness. I pray that uh, this week, God, as, as we go and meditate on your nature, on your goodness, that you would start straightening out the sacred cows and the wrong mentalities that we've had about who we are. That you already start revealing to us that if we understand your goodness... It says something different about us. And I thank you, God, in Jesus' name.